today comes from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. And if you would please stand in honor of God's word. Now hear the reading. <clears throat> Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So ends the reading of God's word, and you may be seated, please. Well, good morning to you. It's good to be back. My goodness, I almost couldn't find my way to the church today. It's been so long. I, I do want you to notice, this is what the wedding was like. The uh, father of the bride and the father of the groom were given a present, and we had to wear these, and of course all the groomsmen had these color ties on. And then during the reception, I wore flip-flops this color with my tux. Guys, you may laugh now, but if you have a daughter, you're going to be doing this someday. So you just laugh all you want. It's coming back. Last night we drove from, or yesterday we drove from Sacramento to here. That's 13 hours. We got here just in time to watch the last part of the Husky game. Yay! Okay. Sorry, Cougars. I've been paying attention to the Cougars and Huskies, and sorry, Cougars. I've been rooting for you, honest. This morning we're going to continue our series. Anybody know what the series is? What difference does Jesus make? You know, oftentimes as Christians, we say Jesus makes a difference, but if I said, well, what difference does he make? Sometimes we're, well, I, I'm not sure. Or, well, I know he does because, well, yeah, for some reason he does. This morning, we're going to look again. Remember last week? What did Mary preach on? <laughs> Jesus makes a difference in what? You're looking at your bulletin, right? Or at the lineup of things. Okay. And today, we're talking about what? Temptation. I'm glad you said that. That's... You know, Sharon, you can't see, can you? <laughs> it's been so long, I don't know. Joe, if I drop these, don't blame me. Oh, they're your position. All right, thank you. That way I keep an eye on Sharon, make sure she's with me the whole time. And you thought I was doing that just so you could see me, right? You know, we come to this idea of temptation, and you remember, you remember that, that musical where there was trouble right here in River City? You remember that? 
And, and how did that go? A capital T that rhymes with P and stands for pool. What was that musical? The Music Man. Wonderful, wonderful musical. Well, we can say that today. In fact, we can say that this message is that capital T that rhymes with P, but it doesn't stand for pool, it stands for pirosmos. And pirosmos is a Greek word, and you can ask Jay if that's pronounced right, I have no clue, but that's close enough. And it's interpreted trial or temptation. And in James chapter 1, verse 13, we see that it moves us from an external pressure, the trials that are out there, to internal impulses. And that deals with the temptations that are there. You know, sometimes pastors get up here and they preach on, okay, I read in this commentary that this is so, and I've heard from this person this is so. I am not doing that. I'm preaching right from my heart because I'm an expert on temptation. By the way, you are too. And I'm going to share with you today what causes these temptations, and hopefully I'm going to share with you what to do about those temptations and how Jesus makes a difference in our lives. Now, the first part's really easy because I am an expert. There are times I've been tempted and I've experienced that temptation and I've resisted that temptation. There are times I've been tempted and I fall prey to the temptations. Do you relate with me on that? Do you understand where I'm coming from on that? This morning I'm an expert, this morning you're an expert, but we're going to look at the Bible and see what it's talking about, what it's telling us, what we should be doing. And I share this message with you today not so that you might be tempted more easily. I mean, we're going to see the path of temptation because the book of James talks about that path. And so I don't want you to say, oh, good, now I know how to be tempted. No, I want you to look at this and say, oh, good, I know that I am being tempted and there's something I need to be doing about this. Quickly, let's look at four stages of temptation. And if you have your bulletin, there on the back, you can see there are spaces there for those stages. And so I want you to make sure that you understand these stages so that we can understand this whole idea, this tempting thing called temptation. The first stage is the curiosity stage, and that is desire. And if you look at verse 14, you're going to see what's happening here in James. James chapter 1, verse 14. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with having desires. I mean, desires can be very good. We have a desire for food. We have a desire for water. We have a desire to sleep. We have a desire for sex. We have a desire for success. And there's 100,000 other desires that we probably have. But it becomes a sin when we take a legitimate desire and deal with it in a wrong way, a way that God is opposed to. And that's what we have to look at is, is the desire right and good, or is the desire causing us to do something that we should not do? I mean, eating is normal. Gluttony is a sin. Sleep is normal. Laziness is sin. Sex is normal. But outside of marriage, it is a sin. So 
a good question to ask ourselves is, can I satisfy this desire in a way that pleases God? Did you ever stop to think that sin would be helpless if there was nothing in us which it could appeal to? I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? It's not tempting if we're not tempted by it. So for this to work, desire must be our servant and not our master. Let's look at a couple of examples here. First of all, in Genesis chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, the serpent got Eve desiring to have her eyes opened, to be like God, to know good and evil, to gain wisdom. Notice, none of these are necessarily bad. But the way it worked out, they turned out to be very bad. The desire was put there. But there's a second stage, and that stage is the enticement stage, and that's deception. Look at verse 14. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Dragged away and enticed. The original Greek word, which is interpreted here as entice, actually means to bait a hook. How many of you are fishermen? Do you catch many fish when you don't put bait on the hook? Only the dumb ones, right? You put bait on a hook, you put something that is appealing, that is tempting to that fish, so that fish will take it. I mean, it makes sense. And, and you talk to other fishermen and you say, what are they biting on today? You know, what can I use that, that I can catch my limit? I mean, that's important to us. Well, Satan is a great fisherman, better than Peter. And Satan knows what kind of bait to use. And so here's that enticement stage. When Satan looks at us, he says, okay, I know what you're interested in. I know where your weakness is. I know where you can't follow through and, and keep away from. I, I know the problem here. The problem with us is he does know that. And it is so enticing to us. I mean, if you look at David, you think about, here he looked at this beautiful woman named Bathsheba. And he might not have gone for the bait, committed the adultery, if he had perceived the consequences. The death of a baby, Bathsheba's son. The murder of a brave soldier, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. Bathsheba, and what happened then? The daughter, Thomas, and the heartache and grief that came to David. You see, he was enticed, and if he would have just thought of the consequences, maybe he would have avoided that. Do we have that today? What is advertising all about? It's trying to get us to bite the hook. Hopefully, the advertising leads us to something good, but sometimes it does not. And it's so easy for us to say, oh yes, I do need that. Oh yes, I want that. Oh yes, I must have that. David looked at Bathsheba and figured he must have that. So the enticement stage. The third stage is the conception stage, and that's disobedience. Look at verse 15. The, uh, the enticement, the conception stage, verse 15. Here the sin becomes the actual doing. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When we 
look at something and desire it, when we are enticed by it, we next move into that next position where we put it into action. And that's where it actually becomes that sin. David went and he committed adultery with Bathsheba. So the third stage, the conception stage. But what about the fourth stage? And that's the moral stage. And that's death. Verse 15. See, the results are never very pretty. Then after desire conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now, you've heard that commercial about pay me now or pay me later. There's one problem with sin, and that is you have to pay now, and you also have to pay later. There are consequences to the things that we do. What we reap, we sow. Is that how it goes? That's not how it goes, is it? It's what we sow, we reap. When we do sin, we get the penalty of sin. So the question is, how do we handle this? What do we do with this kind of thing? Here we are in a set where we understand about how sin works with the temptation that is there. But how do we rise up? How do we become that Christian in an unchristian world? Oscar Wilde, have you heard that name? Oscar Wilde would agree with where we're at when he said, I can resist everything except temptation. The only way to get rid of it is to give in to it. You believe that? I mean, that takes care of temptation, doesn't it? by giving into it. The problem is, then we reap what we sow. I have good news for you this day. How many remember the verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13? I know you have no clue what that verse is. But it talks about what God does with temptation. Let's look at that verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So let me suggest three things from that verse. Three things that are, are a godsend to us. First of all, we are not alone. What is happening to us when we are tempted happens to everybody. So understand that there's nothing new under the sun. That's scriptural too. That there's nothing new as we are tempted. The second part of the verse lets us know that God is faithful and that he will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. Do you believe that? How come we're tempted beyond what we can bear? Why does that work that way? God says he won't tempt us beyond what we can bear. How come we're tempted? What, what's wrong in that process? You're just sitting there. Well, it's human nature, isn't it? There's something, a part of us, that says, I want that, I desire it. And the problem there is when we turn the focus away from God and we turn the focus to ourselves, that then we're in a losing game. Then it's very difficult for us to be successful in what we are trying to do. 
But it says here, God is faithful and he will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. The third part of this verse lets us know that God will provide a way out from the temptation so that we can stand up under it. Thank goodness there is a way out. There is always a way out. Let's consider a few things here this morning. Number one, consider what is happening to you. In James chapter 1, verses 13 through 16, and we won't read that, but remember that we must learn to recognize when we are tempted. When you realize that there is temptation, then you've won half the battle. Part of it is we don't know. We just get sucked right in. We have to find the point that when we see that we are tempted, we can recognize that and we can do something about that. What happens then when we see that temptation? Well, we need to admit that temptation. Part of the problem with us is when we try to hide these kind of things, it makes it more difficult. But when we recognize it, when we admit it, then that puts us on the offensive rather than on the defensive. Now, besides recognizing it, we must take responsibility for it. We must confess that there is a problem there. I mean, I, I like this guy up here with the kicking problem. He realized there was a problem. He couldn't do anything about it, but he realized there is a problem. Now, if you come to the point where you have this temptation and then you sin in that temptation, you say, oh, it's not a problem, then you're never going to try to find help for that problem. You remember what Alcoholics Anonymous does with you? What's the first thing they have you do when you come to the meeting? My name is Steve, and I am an alcoholic. See, they don't want denial there. They want you to realize and admit there is a problem, because when you do that, that is the beginning of dealing with that problem. So how are we doing at admitting the things that are tempting to us, admitting the sins that tend to pull us down. How are we doing with that? You know, Adam and Eve, think about what happened there. Adam, when he fell to temptation, he did what all good men do, didn't he? What did he do? He blamed the woman. Mm-hmm. But look at Eve, was she any better? When she was caught in temptation, what did she do? What all good women do? Blame the snake, the serpent. Mm -hmm. See, the problem was, is God knew everything. He knew the problem. He knew the temptation that was there. He knew what they had done. He knew whose fault it was. And yet, as long as we deny these kind of things, as long as we don't consider what is happening to us, then we can't do anything about it. The best thing that we can do when we find ourselves tempted by something is to admit we have a problem there, to admit that this is something that is tempting to us. Once we take this first step, once we realize what is happening to us, then we can move to the second step here. And this is found in James chapter 1, verse 15. And that is to consider the penalty. What did verse 15 say? Do you remember when I read it to you? What's the problem with the penalty? 
It's death, isn't it? Now, I can try to scare you here. I mean, this really works well, doesn't it? If you sin, death. Now, I'm sure all of you are saying right now, well, I'm not going to sin anymore because that leads to death. No, you don't even think that, do you? But that's what God's word tells us, is that the final result of sin, the final result of temptation that takes place in our life that results in sin is death. When we fall prey to temptation, the results usually are not good. I can hear some of you skeptics saying, you know, I've been sinning all my life and I'm still here. What's the big deal? Well, later on, the big deal is going to come. Later on, James tells us the penalty for that is death. And what happens is we begin to be tempted and as we begin to take and do these little sins, we keep thinking, well, it's all right, it's all right, and then all of a sudden we need bigger sins. We need greater things to appease us. And as those greater things come, pretty soon we get to those, used to those things, and then we need greater things. It results in death. So first of all, we need to understand when we are being tempted. Secondly, we need to consider the penalty. Third, and this is what's so good about being a Christian, is consider God's goodness. Verse 17. Look at verse 17, because it tells us that we need to refocus here. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Isn't that interesting? They're talking about temptation. They're talking about death. And all of a sudden, he switches to, hey, every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above. He is focusing our attention there rather than on the temptation, rather than on the sin which we are committing. Good point here. When sin approaches, when temptation is there, may we focus upon God rather than on that thing. Tough, isn't it? Remember I told you I'm an expert on temptation? You know the last thing I want to think about when I'm tempted? God. Because he's going to ruin the whole thing. You see, my perspective is really out of joint there. My perspective is totally on me and what my desire is, where the perspective should be on the goodness of God and what he has given to us. Those of you who have been parents, you know, I, I don't know what your parenting skills are like, but I, I know that when Marsha and I, we were raising Kristen, there were times that she would do things she should not do. Amen? You know what I'm talking about? And you have a couple of approaches. And one approach that usually is the easiest for us, but not the best, is to always say, no, no. Do you have a child that goes around saying no all the time? Well, we were gone, we were at some friends, and they had their kids over, who had their grandkids over, and this little boy went around the whole time saying, no, no. And I'm thinking, I know what word is used a lot in their household. It is no. And then this child wanted some candy. And, and grandma was there, and, and she gives him one little piece of candy. Then he holds out his other hand. So 
she gives him one other piece of candy, and then he wants more. And then he starts crying. And she says, that's not going to help you get more. That's enough candy for today. So he cries more. So she could say no, but what she did is said, would you like some juice? And she goes over to the refrigerator and pulls out the juice, and all of a sudden his attention's on juice. Juice! And so he drank juice. He forgot about the candy. Now see, she had a choice. She could have said no, 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 but she diverted his attention to something better. You know, as we face these temptations, as we face the sin, if we can find ourselves moving from the temptation to something better, the goodness of God, then we're on the right track. Because what happens when you use the, the technique of saying, okay, when I am tempted, I'm going to resist that temptation. And, you know, you, you know I have a slight problem with peanut M&Ms. Thank you, deacons, by the way. You know what those deacons did? At the deacons meeting, they all gave me a big bag of M&Ms. They were terrible, but they were wonderful. And what happens is, and by the way, we took a couple of those bags on our trip, so, and we allotted three or four each time we thought about them. Then when we got there, we put them in the, in the refrigerator door. It's interesting, I didn't think about M&Ms until I opened the door and there the M&Ms were. Then I had to have three or four. You see, if I find myself saying, okay, I can approach this and I can see these peanut M&Ms and, and then I can say, I'm not going to have those peanut M&Ms. No, I'm not going to have those peanut M&Ms. It's kind of like our guy over here and it's kicking. This isn't a very comfortable place for me. Could I come over here? And did you see him? No, I'm not going to kick him. No, I'm not going to kick him. No, I'm not going to have those peanut M&Ms. No, I'm not going to do this. No, I'm not going to do that. You know, that's what we do. We don't want to find ourselves concentrating and saying, I'm strong enough to resist this. Because usually we are not, are we? We need to refocus. We need to get our thoughts and our hands in another area. Let me consider a couple of thou shalts here. Not thou shalt nots, but thou shalts. Number one, thou shalt focus your attention on something else. And okay, number two, Thou shalt put yourself in a position where you're likely not to be tempted. Okay, I'll stand over here. Hmm. Hmm. I know in that refrigerator, there's some M&Ms with peanuts. Yeah, that was it. As long as I put myself away from that temptation, as long as I begin to do something else then my mind is not focusing there. So thou shalt put yourself in a different position. But you say, that's so hard. 
And guess what? You were right. That is so hard. So let me come to our last point this morning. And that is that we are to consider God's divine plan. Look at verse 18 of James chapter 1. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. You see, God knew that we would be too weak to resist temptation, so he did a couple of things. First thing, he gave us new birth. Now, this is not something that we actually chose. It's not something that I as working well enough or hard enough or good enough that we could have this new birth. But it came from him. And, and what happened in this new birth? I mean, that's church ease. That's church language. What happens when we experience this new birth? We are a new creation then, aren't we? We are under new ownership that this new birth is we're putting away that old nature that Mark was talking about over here, this human nature, and we are taking on the godly nature. Jesus Christ has come into our life as Savior, yes, but also as Lord. He gave us this new birth. He chose to give us this birth through the word of truth. See, that's beautiful because, because then we're under new ownership. Then things have changed. What is the benefit of being a Christian is, is there's new birth. There's new life for us. And, and this birth is a second birth. It's a birth which helps us to overcome temptations. I can't avoid temptations. I mean, I'll be honest with you. When I'm tempted, I fall to the temptation. Guess what? You do too. I mean, I'd like to say you're so much stronger than I am, but I don't think you are. Now, maybe you are. Maybe I'm just really depraved. I know some of you are saying, amen, brother. It's about time you recognize that. But my guess is I'm no worse than the rest of us who are here. You see, by accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior, we let God have control and we open up ourselves to his guidance, to his running our lives in the area of temptation. So do we yield to the old nature or to the new nature? One day a Sunday school child offered, two men live in my heart the old Adam, and Jesus. When temptation knocks at the door, somebody has to answer. If I let Adam answer, I will sin. So I send Jesus to answer. He always wins. Hmm. Who do you send to the door when temptation knocks? Do you send the human nature? Or do you send the godly nature. One other thing here. When we have Jesus Christ in our life, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 again. Look what happens here. This is the benefit of being a Christian. 
no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. Who's faithful here? God. It doesn't say that we are faithful. It says God is faithful. He will not let you, he will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. What is the advantage of being a Christian? Why is it important that we have Christ in the center of our lives? So that when temptation comes, when sin knocks on the door of our hearts and our lives, that we can send the heavenly man and not the earthly man. There is the advantage. That is how we can be victorious in temptation. By our own strength, we can't do it. By the strength of God, we can. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you that as we do these things, we, we don't have to go it alone. That as we do these things, we know that we can send you to that door. Lord, help us to be obedient to you. Help us to be the kind of people that want to make that decision to let you open the door. Thank you, Lord, that you are there. Thank you that you want us to help. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.